Hey everybody, this is Pastor Chad and you are listening to The Way Radio. And today I'm going to share another sermon with you. It's entitled Peace with God. It's based on Romans 5, 1 through 11. And what it addresses is the fact that uh, the core issue of all human suffering and and strife comes down to sin and being enemies of God and estranged of God from God because of sin. But if you understand the gospel, you understand that we have been justified if we're believers by faith. And through that, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So it's a very important sermon, has very much to do with the gospel, and I hope you enjoy it. So the title of the sermon today is Peace with, Peace with God, based on Romans 5, 1 through 11. And before I get into that, I want to just go into a little bit of an introduction that leads up to this portion of the book of Romans. And that is that the core issue of all human suffering and strife comes down to sin and being enemies of God and estranged of God because of sin. Sin is the core issue that humanity suffers from, and it's what causes the problems of humanity. Um, The importance of the gospel has really hit home for myself and my family in the last few weeks, seeing what Lori's uncle has gone through, and now seeing what he's suffering through. I don't know if you guys are aware, but his wife passed on just a few days ago. Yeah, she didn't make it. And, um, you know, so our prayer for her is that hopefully what I was able to share with her had an effect. Maybe Matt's book had an effect because she completely denied the gospel. You know, she had rejected God. And I'm praying that through this, that Jim, Lori's husband, Lori's uncle, will be brought to know the Lord through what he's going through. And it's really sad. I talked to him this morning, and he's devastated. But he's not just devastated because of losing his wife. I can tell that he's devastated because everything he thought he believed in, everything he trusted in, has fallen apart. You know, when you're into New Age philosophy and you're into Eastern religions, and like I said, I've been through all this, you're into all these different things. One of the saddest things I think we come across for people that are in those belief systems is when something like this happens, those belief systems let you down. You have nothing to rely on, you have nothing to have faith in, it just leaves you barren. And I'm hoping that I was able to share enough of the gospel with him that this, that it will touch him. And through this experience, he will come to know the Lord, that he will come to know the truth of the gospel through it. So before we get into Romans 5, 1 through 11, I want to precede it with the gospel because it speaks very clearly to the gospel message. And anybody that's not familiar with the gospel, which unfortunately is so common in the modern church. The gospel is the neglected teaching in so much of the modern church. And along those lines, we have to consider, we have to meditate on the holiness of God. Who is God? What are his attributes? What is God's personality like? We can only learn that through his word. Isaiah 40 verse 12 says, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked out the heavens with a span, enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance. Speaking of God, his majesty, his power, his holiness. Habakkuk 1.13 Your eyes are too pure to approve evil, and you cannot look on wickedness 
with favor. Psalm 5, 4. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. Now think of that. Think of when Jesus taught about God giving us good gifts. And he says, if you who are evil give gifts to your children, how much more will your father give to those that love him? So even people that we think of as good in a humanistic sense on this plane are still considered evil compared to God's standard. You see? But it's important. Evil may not dwell with you. Evil and God cannot exist together. Very important to understand. And then when you consider God's holiness and you contrast it with the heart of man, Jeremiah 17, 9 through 10 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. Man is corrupt and sinful by nature. Our sin and our depravity pour forth from our heart, from our own sinful desire, and the Lord will give to everyone according to the fruit of their deeds. According to the fruit of their deeds. So that's what we have to analyze ourselves. We have to test ourselves and think, have the things that I have done earned me a place before God? Can I stand before God based on the works that I've performed? Have they counteracted the evil that is within me or the evil that I have done, the sin that I have participated in? So the heart of man is deceitful above all things, and we are corrupt and sinful by our very nature. No human being is righteous. There's never been anyone born that can stand before God in a position of righteousness. Romans 3, 10 through 12 says, As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Romans 3, 10 through 12. We do not have the capacity to do good according to God's perfect and holy standard. We are all sinners. We're void of righteousness. And this is the truth of every human, regardless of how good someone may seem according to human standards. God's standard is perfection according to his law. One of the most brilliant, brilliant examples that we see of this is in the book of John, when Jesus speaks of, of John the Baptist. And he says, the least in the, in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John the Baptist. He was showing us that contrast between God's standard and man's standard. John the Baptist understood his need for a savior. That's why he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's why he leapt in his mother's womb before he was born when Jesus' mom Mary walked into the room. Because he knew his Messiah, his savior, was in his midst. You see? Such an important teaching for us to understand. All have sinned. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23. This is something that's so easy to test for yourself. When you start considering yourself in the light of God's standard, in the light of eternity, in light of the gospel. If you want to find out if you've even come close to adhering to God's law and obeying his commands, just look at the Ten Commandments. Have you ever lied? 
just even once? Have you ever stolen? Have you ever coveted? Covet is one of the biggest marketing tools in our society. I mean, everybody covets what everybody else has. Have you ever lusted? And lust is not just sexual lust, it's lusting after everything that everybody else has. It's like coveting also. Committed adultery. Christ said if you even look at someone with lustful intent, you've already committed the sin of adultery. It doesn't have to be carried out. Obviously, adultery carried out, sex before marriage is adultery. So anybody engaged in that has committed that sin. Taking the Lord's name in vain. This is one that is so misunderstood. Obviously, if you use the Lord's name and you pair it with, you, with profanity, you've taken the Lord's name in vain. But even more seriously than that is what we see so prevalent in the modern Christian church. Now, I'm a Christian. I believe in Christ. But you commit adultery. You lie. You cheat. You live according to the standards of the world. And nobody can tell the difference between you and a person of the world walking down the street. You've taken the Lord's name in vain. It's like you're wearing a t-shirt that says Jesus on it, but you're living like Satan, you see. That's taking the Lord's name in vain. Idolized anything. Idolatry is huge in our society. I think it's John, I might have been Spurgeon that said the human heart is a factory of idols. Humans will idolize anything and produce idols out of our sinful desires. And to break one of God's commands is to have transgressed his entire law. James 2.10 points very clearly to the perfection that's required of God. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. Now what you'll see as we go through this, and you've seen it before when I've gone into gospel messages, is these things scare and frighten and crush and convict human beings of their condition. But the beauty of it is when you move to the other side of the cross, what does God's law become? Beautiful. A blessing. See? The sinful desire of man. This one is so important in the modern church. From James 1, 13 through 15. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. The blame for our sin, our succumbing to temptation, can be laid, the blame for that can be laid nowhere else but on us. You see? And this is another failing of the modern church because we're trying to lay the blame for sin externally from the person who's sinning. Deliverance ministries are not one of the most destructive things in the modern church. And you go to one of these ministries and say, uh, I can't stop popping pills. I can't stop watching porn. I can't stop being gay. Whatever the sin is, and they say, well, you've got a demon that leads you into homosexuality. You've got a demon of drug addiction. You've got a demon of hatred. You need to have those demons exercised. 
And this is one that I, it's one ministry that I hate so much because I personally tried to help people that have come out of these so-called deliverances and it absolutely wreaks havoc on them. We had a man come and meet with us here. Justin was here at a Bible study who went through one of these ministries in Texas and now lives like a hermit in the forest in Oregon because he's completely lost his mind because of what they did to him through exorcisms at a deliverance ministry. Because as you're supposedly casting out these demons, what are you doing? Focusing on the demonic. And you just open yourself wide open if you're not a believer. It's, it's the damage being done by these ministries. I can't even uh, explain how bad it is. And if you go to a recovery program, what do they blame your recovery on? Your sin? No, you've got a disease. See? You've heard me tell that story so many times. That almost destroyed me, that lie. What it comes down to is the human heart is sinful desire. Our sin is the fruit of our heart's desire. It is not the fault of anything outside of ourselves or the influence of demonic forces. Our desire is what lures and entices us to sin. It's our own fault. It's who we are. We can't lay the blame anywhere else. This is so important for us to understand. You know, and someone that I've been trying to help lately with counsel who's been going through a lot of stuff. And when people get into a bad place in their lives, they regret the past and they fear the future, so they're not here. You see? Like I told them, until you accept where you're at, you're never going to get to where you want to be. And it's the same thing with this. Until you accept that your sin is what causes you your pain and everything you suffer from, and you understand what the remedy is for that and the way out of it, you will never be set free from it. There is only one way out of sin. We are born into sin. <clears throat> Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all have sinned, Romans 5.12, it's talking about the federal headship of Adam as the representative of the human race. When Adam sinned, it spread to all humanity. We inherit it from him. We are born in sin, and because of that fall, that original sin, sin is our nature. Now this one's very important. Psalm 51, 4 through 5. This is David, and again, I've shared these with you guys before, and a lot of this is for people listening online as well. David sinned horrendously. He was in his palace, and he looked out the window, and he saw this beautiful woman bathing on a rooftop below, so he sent for her. She came to his palace. They ended up, she got pregnant. Her husband was one of his most loyal soldiers, and he needed to take care of that situation, so he had this loyal soldier actually carry a sealed message, a command, back to the battlefront when he returned to duty. And he had to give that to his commanding officer and it basically said, lead him into the battle and then abandon him so he's killed. So he, he sent him back with his own death warrant. Uriah was his name. I think it was Uriah. Uriah. So David committed adultery he had a close friend, somebody who was loyal to him, killed. So he committed murder. But when Nathan the prophet came to him and 
and showed him, listen, you've sinned horrifically. And he was convicted of what he had done. Notice his response. Against you, he's speaking to God, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. David was crushed under the conviction of the sin that was his nature. But the important lesson in this is he understood that he was sinning against God. And you have to ask yourself this question. Does your sin bother you because of its consequences or because you have sinned against God? That's the important question. This one's huge. Especially the recovery thing. You go to any AA meeting, anybody that's got it all back together and they've got sober again, they talk about all the consequences that have been taken care of and all the worldly stuff they got back. That's nice, but the core issue is still there. You're still rotting. The sin is still like a cancer killing you. You see? Until you understand that the greatest problem with sin is that we have sinned against a perfect and holy God. And that sin has an eternal effect. There's no way that we can atone for it. So you've got to ask yourself the question, does your sin bother you because of its consequences or because you have sinned against God? And what does sin lead to if it's not dealt with? Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The wages of sin is death. A sinner's just punishment is death and eternal suffering for sinning against a holy, just, and eternal God. And that death doesn't happen when we have physical death. That death is already happening now if you're in sin. But we start to see the light of the truth here, the light of the gospel. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We cannot pay the terrible debt that we owe to God because of our sin. How does a finite, sinful creature atone for transgressing the law of an infinite and holy God? It is an impossible dilemma. We cannot do it. But God gave believers the ultimate gift, forgiveness and eternal life in Jesus Christ. He provided the atonement for our transgressions. Now we start to see the love and mercy of God. But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5.8 Salvation we have in Christ is an undeserved and an unearned gift. Christ died for us while we were still sinners, and we were actually in rebellion against him. See? Rebellion against him. You know, I've heard the analogy used, people trying to explain the love and the mercy of God and they'll say God's like a, a judge in a small town and there's this person in the town or actually his somebody that's his son who's committed these horrific crimes in the town and when he comes before the judge the judge has to sentence him and because he's a just judge he has to sentence his son according to what the law says so he has to lay down that that penalty against his son. But then he steps down from the bench 
And he wraps his arm around his son and he says, I've had to put this penalty on you because it's what you've earned, it's what you deserve, but I'm going to take the penalty for you. It's a nice analogy, but it doesn't even come close to what the truth of it is. See, because we've sinned against God, everything we've done harms Him personally, hurts Him personally, breaks His law. So imagine the worst that anybody's ever done to you, multiply it beyond what you can comprehend, and that's the forgiveness God gave you by atoning, having to atone for it through His Son for us. So God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Because we are dead in sin, we cannot seek God or come to him. He raises us from the dead to eternal life in Jesus Christ. And this is the amazing majesty and the beauty of the gospel. Our sin has done so much to us that we're spiritually dead. We have no capacity to hear God's voice, to see his truth or to accept anything he says, he even has to do that for us. You see? Because we are dead. Ephesians 2, 4 through 5 says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. He brings the dead to life. Now we get into the, the portion of Romans that just fits so perfectly in the center of the gospel message. If you guys will look at Romans 5, 1 through 11. And as you remember, last time we went through chapter 4, Abraham being justified by faith. Paul has, has used the beginning chapters of Romans to talk about what I've shared about the gospel and then to use Abraham's faith as an example of what true faith is. And now in chapter 5 he says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good, good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So if we look at verses 1 and 2, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. 
through him, the exclusivity of the Christian faith, only through Christ. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. But notice he says, we have peace with God. What's that say? Present tense. We have peace with God. And what you're going to see here is what we have now and what we look forward to in Christ. We have peace with God, present tense. And because of that, this is why the gospel is the answer to all of the sufferings and problems of mankind. We have present peace with God, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God that we will experience all through eternity. Already and not yet is the way it's explained theologically. We are already blessed in Christ. We already have peace, but there's much that's not happened yet that we hope for, that we look forward to in the promises of God. We have access by faith because of Christ to the throne of grace. So think of all that I talked about, our depravity and sin. If we're brought by faith to trust in Christ, we're brought from death to life, we're saved in him, and now we abide in Christ, we have gone from being enemies of God in rebellion against him to now having access by faith to his throne. Picture that if you're struggling in prayer. The wall of partition between us and God that was there because of sin has been removed. This was represented when Christ died on the cross by the tearing of the curtain in the Holy of Holies. Matthew 27, 50-51 says, And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split. Christ is our access, and he is our mediator between us and the Father. Don't let anybody tell you any different. See? Don't let anybody tell you any different. The Mormon church will say they will mediate. The Roman Catholic church will say the priest and the pope and the church will mediate. See? They're in the way. They don't have to be there. They don't belong there. When that curtain was torn and Christ gave up the ghost, we were given access through him to the Father. Such an important teaching. We have gone from falling short of God's glory through sin to the hope of God's glory eternally. We will have a permanent and everlasting peace with him. The complete absence of hostility between fallen sinners and rebellion against our Creator and being reconciled with our Creator through Christ. And the Heaven series, I haven't forgotten about that. Part 2 will address that. As I was working on that and I was looking at Romans, there's this place in Romans where that sermon just fits right in, so that's where that will go. But it will talk about heaven is the presence of fellowship and communion with God. That's heaven. You see? Romans 5, 3 through 5. Not only that, this is where Christianity becomes a paradox, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Justin was just sharing with me before the service about 
how amazing it is the work that Paul the Apostle did in sharing the gospel, writing about the gospel, while he's sitting in prison. While he's sitting in prison knowing that he's going to be executed. And then actually struggles within himself saying, I'd really, almost really saying, I'd rather really be executed because then I can just be with Christ and I don't have to be in all this anymore. Because he understood the glory that he was going to just bask in when he was with Christ. But Paul understood so well and he conveyed it so beautifully that suffering for Christians can actually be a time of rejoicing. Suffering outside of Christ creates what? Impatience, anger, frustration, because we don't understand it. We don't have any context for it other than a worldly context. So it's negative, we've got to get rid of it, we need to be done with it. But suffering in a Christian context, we realize, what? Romans 8, 28, God uses everything to the good of those that love him, that are called according to his will and purpose. From suffering as judgment to joy and tribulation because of what God works through it. We start understanding that. So look at each one of these transitions that Paul talks about. And what he's talking about here is what? Christian maturity. Sanctification. Suffering produces endurance. That's where I've talked about before. One of the greatest, greatest examples of Christian faith is being able to say, not my will, but what your will is, God. I don't like this burden. I don't like this time of suffering. I just wish it would end. But if it's your will and you're going to use it, I have to proceed through it. So what's that producing in you? Endurance. If you can take the cup away, please take it away. But if it's your will, give me what? The strength to endure it. And then what happens after we endure it? We've gone through this horrific trial, this time of suffering. What does that do? It builds character. You see? We become seasoned. You see? We, become, we have a better flavor about us because of what we've been through, the trials we've been through. So it, it produces character in us. The RSV Bible describes it as character as the quality of being approved through testing. Approved through testing. I endure. God used that suffering and my enduring through it to teach me so much that I have a, I'm in a better place of character now. And through that character, what does it do? It produces hope. Because now we've matured in the Lord. We understand his word. We understand what it is to trust in his promises. And now our hope is strengthened. So now we live in hope. And our hope is sure. Our hope is established and grounded in the love of God. And it's sustained by the Holy Spirit. And then the next time a suffering trial comes up, we endure it with more grace than we probably did the last time. See? Like I've talked about with you guys, that whole situation that I went through on the plane. You know, the pastors in Kenya were saying, oh, you have the faith of Abraham, you know. You're, you're doing just what Abraham did. I said, not even close. I wanted to run away. You see, he gets you to the end, and then he shows you that I'll give you strength that you don't have. That's when we are able to endure. You see? Romans 5, 6 through 8, Paul continues. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
nothing deserving of it. No goodness, no righteousness. That's when he died for us. Paul's talking about the cross, and he's talking about the fact that God acted at the perfect right time in his plan and in history to save sinners. Christ's death was exactly according to God's timing. Three examples of this, John 17, 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Acts 2.23, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God used evil for good. Galatians 4, 4-5, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And it was also the moment that was in our, he comes to us in the moment of our deepest need as individual sufferers, individual sinners. He comes to us when we're still weak, when we're still sinners, and while we're actually enemies against God. That's why it's so important to understand, against you only have I sinned. Because when we start understanding those truths, that's when we start coming to Christ and that's when we start walking with Christ, and that's when we, we are born again, and we truly start growing in Him. And then verses 5 through 11 from Romans 5. Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. How many people don't understand that? What's Jesus saving us from? Hell, He's going to give us a better life. He's saving us from the wrath of God because of our sin. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. Now this is where Paul builds on it, and he starts setting it up for the next part of the chapter we'll get into next week. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So what he's saying is, if you can begin to just meditate on how profound it is that God would save sinners that hate him, or his enemies that are in rebellion against him, and through the death of his son, reconcile us to himself, how much more is he going to do? I mean, think of that, because now he loves us in Christ. You see? Paul's saying now it's just exploding in glory, basically. Now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? We also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. We've gone from fearful uncertainty to the assurance of God's love and joy in Jesus Christ. We are reconciled by his death, and saved by his life. When he died on the cross, he had reconciled and paid the debt for our sin. When he rose, he saved us for all eternity. You see? The guaranteed justification and glorification of those for whom he died. Romans 8, 29 through 32. One of the most profound portions of scripture from Paul. 
For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Paul's just reveling as he's writing this in what we've been blessed with and what we look forward to, what our hope rests in. But look at the progression here. It's fascinating. And the only way you can start to get what Paul's saying is to step out of time. See, God's timeless. And when we get into these teachings, we struggle with them because we start trying to put God into being bound by space and time like we are, but he's not. So he says, not only that, but we... Uh, wait, I'm wrong. Verse... My printer started preaching. started printing on two sides. And it messed me up. <laughs> I noticed that. Yeah. Uh, it's a good thing I'm saving paper, but I'm, not used, I'm used to just going from page to page. Romans 8, 29 through 32. So those whom God foreknew, those who he had already known, he predestined to save. He predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So his plan was worked out before the beginning of time. In order that he, meaning Christ, would be the firstborn among many brothers. And then those whom he predestined. See, the importance of this is you got to realize when it says predestined, what that tells us is when Christ was on the cross, he was atoning for the elect's sins, specifically past, present, and future. You see? This is why this is so important. Those whom he predestined, then he also called. What does he say? My sheep hear my voice. Why? Because they're predestined. Why? Because God knew them before the foundation of the world. You see the progression here in salvation? He also called. And those whom he called, what? He also justified at the cross. So you've got Christ dying on the cross. We're justified. Our legal sin debt is paid. And to those whom he justified, what do we look forward to? Glory. He also glorified. Now notice Paul's talking in the past tense here. The work's already been done, but our full glorification in Christ is something we look forward to. And then again, this is what Paul does in Romans. What then shall we say to these things? Paul makes the point all through Romans, I can't convey what I know. I see this all through Romans. See, when Paul came to Christ, how did it happen on the Damascus Road? He was killing Christians. He was persecuting Christians. Christ just comes to him and says, Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? A bright light shone around him. Then he said he was taken up and shown visions, heavenly visions. And, and, and Jesus disclosed to him the truth of the gospel. Paul's struggle for the rest of his life was trying to put this into human understanding. You see? And he can't. That's why in Romans is such a fascinating book, because you get to points where he says, what then shall we say to these things? It's so profound, it's so far above us, that if God is for us, who could be against us? 
if it's with all this that he has done. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So this is where you got to understand how important it is to call on the name of Jesus Christ. Romans 10.13 says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. When the Holy Spirit raises us from the dead, opens our eyes to the truth of the gospel, brings us to believe and we call on the name of the Lord, repent of our sins and trust in Christ, he will save us from the wrath of God that will be poured out on all unrighteousness. Having no righteousness of our own, we stand in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And we must know what it is to repent and to trust in Jesus Christ. Christ said, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel, Mark 1.15. Regardless of what we've done, how sinful our lives have been, if we truly repent of our sins and trust in Jesus Christ, we will be saved in him. And then we must confess and believe. Romans 10, 9 through 10 says, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Now this is not a casual acknowledgement of Jesus Christ taking his name in vain or a mindless and emotional sinner's prayer, but a genuine belief from a contrite, broken heart. A transformation in which the human desire for sin is replaced with hatred for sin and a consuming desire for Christ and his righteousness. Ezekiel 36, 26 through 27 says, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. And we will have peace with God. Romans 5.1, the beginning of today's message. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Why do people suffer in this life? Why is there so much misery, strife, depression, addiction, and anxiety? Because there is no peace with God. All the fame and fortune in the world cannot provide true and lasting peace. The only way to have peace with God is through Jesus Christ. And we can celebrate and rejoice in the fact that we are no longer condemned. Romans 8, 1 says, there is, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because of sin, all are guilty and condemned before God. But when we are made alive, repent of our sin, and place our trust in Jesus Christ, we are freed from condemnation. Christ endured the punishment for our sin, and he paid the debt that we could not pay. Colossians 2, 13 through 14 says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. And once we are in Christ, once we are born again, and he has brought us to believe and follow him, don't let anyone tell you you can lose it. We are eternally secure in Jesus Christ. Just like we had no power to come to Christ, we have no power to leave Christ if we're truly saved. You will not 
Will you flounder at times? Yes. Will you maybe backslide? Yes. Wander off the narrow path? Hopefully not. All Christians go through these times in their life. But he will give endurance and perseverance to the truth to stay on the narrow path to those that are truly in him. And there's a big movement now with people trying to say, no, you can lose your salvation, you can fall from grace. It's like John MacArthur says, if you could lose your salvation, you would. We have no capacity to sustain it on our own. Romans 8, 37 through 39 says, In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Nothing can, amen. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And he says in John 6.37, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. We need to follow Christ, and we need to live for him. Galatians 2.20, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. If you're suffering in sin, if you're suffering with the things of this world, crucify it. See? Don't try to blend it with Christ. Don't try to conform who you are to Christ. Crucify who you are. Let God crucify it. And then become conformed to the image of Christ. That gets rid of all that garbage that we drag around with us. Amen. I don't know if Facebook's still on. I think I've lost it. But if you're not at peace with God, if this message is spoken to you and you feel the call to repent and believe in the gospel and to follow Jesus Christ, please contact me at the Way Ministry Church at Outlook.com. What is it? Oh, oh no, no, no. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm, I'm checking your uplink. Yeah, I don't think it's still on. But that's okay. They'll see the video. And I did want to say, that's the end of the message. Um, I've put the gospel message on the Recovery Reformation portion of the website. Um, I, I've got three more emails this week of people wanting to know how they can implement the Recovery Reformation program. So I just finally go to this page. Here's the gospel. I <laughs> mean, that's the program. So it is on there. The reason I'm sharing that with you guys is if you have an opportunity to witness to someone, it's intimidating. And all the time people say, I just don't know if I can share the gospel. Pull that up. Read it from your phone. You can pull up our website. It's recoveryreformation.org. You go to the uh, biblical solution page, and it's just the gospel as I read it today. And I'm going to be adding to it. There's actually going to be two places on the website, one for the church, where I'm going to have this gospel, and I'm going to expand on the one for Recovery Reformation over time and just keep adding to it. Um, but that is on there. Um, Justin's going to lead us in a couple songs. We're going to take prayer requests and offering. Um, for anybody that, if they are still listening or anybody here, I leave for Kenya in two weeks. Um, this is a huge opportunity to support the cause of the gospel. I mean, it just amazes me the opportunity and the harvest that the Lord has just dropped us in in Kenya. There are so many false teachers over there right now. There's so much confusion. It's mind-blowing. Um, since I left, I think Benson said there were 12 pastors that wanted to be a part of our church. We said okay, and I think there's seven that are left. 
The others are in it, were in it for the wrong reasons, which is okay, but they've been drawn away by false teachers. So we are engaging in the cause of the gospel correctly. And the reason I share that is that the field is ripe for the harvest. There are brethren are hungry for God's word and the truth of the gospel. They eat it up. And the pastors want to be armed to better fight to, to better fight against the new apostolic reformation and Seventh-day Adventism and Roman Catholicism and everything else that has just been infiltrating Kenya. And we are making we are engaged heavily in that battle. So please help us in this work. And there is no greater cause than the cause of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is nothing better for us to do. That's my conviction. So just pray about it. Thank you for listening to The Way Radio podcast. You can find us on the web at thewayradio.net. And if you'd like to email me, please do. You can reach me at chad at thewayr122.org. Until next time, God bless.